Uh, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who, who has been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The next day a great multitude had come to the feast where they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Um. Happy Palm Sunday, everyone. Good to see you guys here. Um, I'm going to just begin with a word of prayer, and we will start. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you how you have been moving already uh, during this time of worship. God, have your way in these next few moments, Lord, um, as we just dive into the word. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. First of all, I just want to just thank everybody who participated in our 24-hour prayer. Guys, I mean, it has been awesome. I am just so fired up after 24 hours just spending time in the presence of God. I mean, it was just an awesome time. So thank you so much for everyone uh, participating in that. It was just an unprecedented event, and I think God is just going to do some amazing things um, after we humbly just spent that time before the Lord. Um, so as I was sharing, today is Palm Sunday. I don't normally share a Palm Sunday message on this particular day, but today I am. And so today I'm going to actually take it from a different angle. So I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but the story of Palm Sunday is closely related to the story of Lazarus. Now, those stories are very intertwined with each other. 
And if you are here and you're new to church uh, and you never heard the story of Lazarus, um, here is the deal with Lazarus. You see, Lazarus is the only person in the New Testament that is listed as Jesus's friend. Uh, He is Jesus's buddy, right? Jesus has 12 apostles. He has hundreds of disciples. He has uh, lots of enemies. Uh, But there's one person in the whole New Testament that is his buddy, and that's this guy here. So if Jesus basically has a hard day at the office and he needs to just blow off some steam, he needs to get some wings and watch a good football game, it's Lazarus who he's taking, right? Lazarus is his boy. And so what happens is Lazarus gets sick. um, And it's not like, you know, it's not like, hey, I got the cold or I got the flu, right? Lazarus is sick and what he has is terminal. Lazarus is dying. And so Lazarus has these two sisters, and their names are Mary and Martha. And this is the same Mary and Martha that we see in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, where Mary, um, where Martha is the person who's kind of working in the kitchen and um, gets angry because Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so um, Lazarus is their brother, okay? Jesus loves their brother, and Jesus hangs out with these three. This is family to him. And each time Jesus comes to Bethany, uh, where they live, uh, Jesus stays with them. So they are very, very close. So when Lazarus gets sick and, you know, his death is a possibility here, uh, there's concern, but they're not going crazy though, right? Like the, the sisters are not losing their minds at this moment because we know a guy, Right? We know a guy for this. We don't know a guy who knows a guy because everybody knows a guy who knows a guy, right? But we know the guy. We know the guy. We don't know, like, you know, this middleman for this. We know the guy, and that guy is Jesus Christ. Jesus heals people. This is what Jesus does Jesus heals strangers. Jesus heals people that are are not even in the same room with him, right? Jesus heals people at a distance. And so, I mean, Jesus, he doesn't necessarily have to be in the same room with somebody to heal them. And so Mary and Martha are like, you know what? We know a guy. And so they get word to Jesus that um, Lazarus is sick and we need you to heal Lazarus Jesus. So come on, Jesus, come, come and heal him. Come on. I mean, he's your buddy, right? Come on. Like, you go and you heal strangers. Come on, Jesus. And what happens in the New Testament is very, very counterintuitive to, and it's just very difficult to understand here. Um, not only does Jesus not heal Lazarus from where he is, Not only does Jesus not rush to Lazarus' bedside to be with him, to to heal him, Jesus, it says in the scripture, intentionally delays his arrival, and, and Lazarus dies. Lazarus dies in the meantime, right? And so now what happens is Mary and Martha, they are completely shattered, they don't, they just can't fathom how this could possibly be. 
right? They can't fathom it. They, they just don't understand why Jesus would do that. There's no plausible way. Jesus loves Lazarus. Jesus loves the family. How, how could Jesus, who, who loves them, who has the power to heal Lazarus, who, and could have intervened and really should have intervened, right? How could it be that he doesn't? Right? It just doesn't make any sense. And so now what happens is when Jesus finally arrives to Bethany, like four days or five days late, uh, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days now when Jesus arrives in Bethany. And he's not just a little bit late, but Jesus Christ is just really, really late. And so he gets there and Mary and Martha just run out and they just kind of grab him. And you can kind of imagine in your mind, right, like they just run out to him and kind of grab him by the robe, by the robe of his collar and they're just like shaking him. They're like, what happened? Like, what? How could you let this happen? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to ask God that question? God, how could you let this happen, right? How could you let this be? You say that you're good. You say that you love me, and all of a sudden, this happens. God, aren't you in charge, right? Like, aren't you the general manager of the entire cosmos? Like, aren't you in authority over every spinning atom in the entire universe, Aren't you in charge of everything that happens in this terrestrial ball that we're on? Like, if, 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 if it happens on this planet, which you are God, aren't you then ultimately somehow accountable, God? Didn't this happen on your watch? How could you let this happen? And Mary and Martha are here, and they're just, they're just so angry. They're angry, they're indignant in their heart because they find themselves in a very difficult place. There's always a gap, right? There's always a gap between a difficult event and our understanding of it. There's always a gap between a difficult event and our understanding of it. And they are in that gap. And they just, they just don't get it. There is no plausible way how they could just fathom why Jesus would just allow this to, to happen. They just can't get it through their head why Jesus would allow this. I mean, what conceivable reason would you have here for not healing your friend and, and just sparing us all of this agony, God? And, and there are times when moments like that cause us to think that we now are in like some moral high ground with God when we're in that situation, right? Like sometimes moments like that cause us to think that, you know what, we sometimes put God on trial in moments like that, it feels like. So we, we kind of take the tone, put God on a dock and just say, where were you? Where were you on the night of so-and-so-and-so when this happened to me, God? And let me say this. That is a dangerous place to be. Because when Jesus says to Martha, Martha, Mary and Martha in their pain, he says to them in their difficulty, Mary and Martha, and this is very challenging, basically what Jesus is saying here, right? Jesus basically is saying the, the, the story is bigger than you. 
The story is bigger than you. What's going on is bigger than you. The story that you are embedded in right now is bigger than you. There are reasons afoot here that are bigger than you. And you may not get it, and you may not understand it, and, but you are, are part of a bigger story. Your pain is a part of a bigger story. Your family is a part of a bigger story, a larger plan that God is working on. And I know in the here and the now, in the gap that you don't get it, I know in the here and the now, in the gap that you're wondering why this happened, why had this had to occur, you are just ticked, you are just so angry. And let me ask, haven't you been there, right? Like, haven't you been there before? And what God says, what he says is this, he says, this is going to work for my Father's glory. This is going to be a part of something larger. And what he does is he raises Lazarus from the dead. Right? He raises Lazarus after four days, and Jesus calls out to him from the grave, and everyone was there at Lazarus' funeral. Right? All those that are there now sees him up and about. And God does this amazing miracle, and it just completely changes everything. And this is the reason why so many people come to see Jesus during Palm Sunday. This is the reason for that triumphant entry. And while Lazarus' narrative actually took place a chapter before in Luke chapter 11, uh, this is what we're going to find in Luke chapter 12. I'm just going to read some of those verses again. Luke chapter 12, it reads like this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Martha loves to serve, right? And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So they gathered here in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is the same place where we see in the other narrative in Luke chapter 10 with, with, with Mary and Martha, right? So they're together in this one house, which is a familiar house to Jesus, and, the, and they're celebrating here. And, and I mean, Lazarus is back from the dead. They are celebrating what happened. Everyone's excited. And then Mary kind of does something a little weird, right? If I could be, just be honest with you, right? It sounds a little weird. Like, they're having dinner, and in that part of the world, in their culture, they don't sit um, in chairs at the table like how we do. Uh, they recline on the floor, 
right? So there's all sorts of various poses of reclining um, around this table because that was just normal in their culture. And so Mary takes this expensive jar of perfume and cracks it open and pours it over Jesus' feet. And um, as you can imagine, the smell of the perfume filled the whole entire house and then um, kneels down and starts wiping the perfume away. But not with a towel, though, but with her hair. And if you ask me, that just sounds weird. Uh, that just sounds really weird. And, and I'm guessing everyone in the room is now profoundly un- uncomfortable at this moment, just like how you would have been if you were in that room at that time. And I don't know how long her hair was, but I'm guessing it wasn't that long. But now she's in close proximity to Jesus' feet, and she is wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair. And everyone else in the room are like, yeah, okay, you know, like dumpty dump. Like, they're just probably trying to change the subject. It's just awkward because everyone in the room is just profoundly uncomfortable, I'm guessing, in that moment. Finally, Judas Iscariot could stand it no longer, and Judas is like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm just throwing this out there for you, but uh, uh, that perfume is actually really expensive, and it could be used for the poor, right? Like, not, that's not cool, right? And Jesus hears that, and Jesus just kind of just shuts that down right there. And we know what Mary was doing here wasn't inappropriate, okay? It wasn't inappropriate because, you know, like Jesus just could have stopped her, right? He could have just done that right there. If it was inappropriate, Jesus could have just drawn the line right there and just said, Mary, you know, thank you for doing this, but it's okay. I'll do this. It's okay. Like there's like a hundred different ways Jesus could have handled this and just kind of deflected uh, that and just, you know, let her save face and just not shame Mary in that moment and just honor the gift and just thanked her. Could have done that. Right? There's just so many different ways that Jesus could have handled that, but, and allows, but Jesus allows that to take place, though, because she prepares him for his burial. Now, what, why does Mary do this? Why does why Mary do this? Here's why. Because Mary has done something extravagant here. Because for her, the gap between the difficult event and her understanding of it has closed. The gap between the difficult event and her understanding of it has closed. And when that gap closes, and, 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 and even if there's just like a little light of hope that shines through it, like something, that could be a dark place to be in, right? Like some of us are in that space at this moment, this morning. We're right there, right? And that's a dark place to be in. Sometimes all it takes is just like a little spark, just a, a little ray of hope, a little shaft of life to just penetrate that darkness, and all of a sudden, something just comes up in us, and just we just want to thank God, right? We want to just make these grand statements because everything changes in one minute. And I mean, right here, like, I mean, this thing is a year's, worth a year's wages here. I mean, like, are you kidding me? 
even, even at minimum wage here, that's $1,000. Like that, this is an expensive and a, a really expensive jar of perfume. And Mary is doing something just extravagant because the gap has closed, because she has found a way. Well, for her, it's fully closed. And so she sees, even though she, has, uh, she was mistaken, even though she was confused, even though she swore maybe God wasn't good, she knows that even in her pain that God was at work. And it feels wonderful to experience that. And some of us are in that gap and we haven't turned the corner yet. And so here's what happens. We're going to go to John chapter 12, uh, start at verse 8. This is what it says. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So... The chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Yeah, so, so the, the Pharisees are not wanting to kill Lazarus. And I'm like, that's not cool. Like, this poor guy already died once, and now they're going to try to kill him again, all right? And if you're Lazarus, you're just like, man, I did not sign up for this. And so they're here, and they want to kill Lazarus. Do you know why they want to kill Lazarus? Here's why. Because people are leaving the dead religion of the Pharisees to follow Jesus. People are leaving the dead religion of the Pharisees to follow Jesus because of Lazarus. Because Jesus has shown people in direct and tangible ways that, you know what, they are part of something bigger, that the story is bigger than them, that, that somehow God is at work in this grand story, that, that, that something that has taken place over thousands of years that God has been working on. And we get it, right? We get the whole, like, we are on this planet, on earth, and we get that we are here to play this part that God has given us to play in what he is doing. But we start to understand that we are part of something bigger, right? And that brings with it this knowledge that death is not the end for us. Death is not the end for us. It is not the end. We play a part in this big story here on, on earth, but our last breath on earth segues simply into our first breath in heaven. Right, the next one. Right? If you've done business with God, that's the promise that we have. So, so people are here and they're leaving the dead religion of the Pharisees and they are now following Jesus and a part of it, they are following Jesus because of, you know, the miracles, especially raising somebody from the dead. Hello, like raising Lazarus from the dead. But that's not just it, though. People are starting to understand that there is a bigger story here. There is a bigger story. In that fourth day uh, window here, while Lazarus was dead, they're trapped in a place where they just don't understand. And now, uh, like a week 
later, hundreds of people are now turning to Jesus because of Lazarus. And it didn't, it didn't make any sense, right? It didn't make any sense while he was sick, but now it makes tons of sense. Are you with me? The gap between the difficult event and our understanding of it. Verse 12, it says this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And they wave their palm branches, right? They wave their palm branches and they just place their palm branches there on the surface of the road, of the street there, and Jesus rides through. Jesus rides through that. I mean, which really is an honor that is normally given to um, uh, visiting dignitaries and, and, retire, and returning generals who were victorious at war. And so Jesus is honored on the streets, and they, of course, and this is why, of course, why we call it Palm Sunday. And if you ever wonder why everyone came to see Jesus, it wasn't just because, you know, this miracle man was there. It wasn't just that. This was something bigger. It had everything to do with Lazarus's story. Verse 16, it reads like this. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out the tomb, out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So why does Palm Sunday happen? Why do these huge crowds come out to meet Jesus coming into the city? Because when this family was in need, cried out to Jesus and came out. Jesus came and he said to save Lazarus, Jesus actually delayed. He delayed. He was delaying it. He was delaying his arrival. And what happened was Lazarus died. And so this created this gap of time, this interval of time of just this excruciating event in the life of this family. And these people were just so shattered. These people were just so embarrassed. They were so devastated. And, and let's be honest, are, are, have you ever trusted God and you were embarrassed by God, by what God's not doing? And that's what happens here with Mary and Martha. And they said, and they said this, Jesus basically got this. Like, Jesus, you got this. You got this. And when Jesus doesn't show up, the whole paradigm shifts for them. Everything just flips on its head. And now they're here and they're just wondering, like, why didn't Jesus come, right? Why didn't he come? Why didn't Jesus deliver? Why did it, he, didn't he prevent this from happening? And maybe you're here as well and you wonder the same thing. 
And some of you are here and you're in that gap. And the same thing happened the following, and the same thing happened the following week. What happens was Jesus dies. Right? The same thing happened. Jesus dies, and everybody is here, and they lose their mind. Because everybody thought that he was the Messiah. Everybody was just so sure that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And by this point, everyone believes that this, that he is the true son of God. And when he dies, when Jesus dies, I mean, there was no like, yeah, of course he's going to die. I mean, he's, yeah, he's going to die and he's going to rise from the dead. Yeah, like everybody chill. Everybody chill, okay? Like, let's go, you know, in two days, he's going to come back, take it easy. Everything's going to be good. Right? Like, no one is doing that because everybody is losing their minds. His death was just so awful. It was so brutal. It was so violent. It was so visceral, right? And he was just extremely dead after this whole ordeal that everyone was just so broken, and there's this gap. There is this interval of time between the event and our understanding of it. But the disciples, the disciples waited. They waited after Good Friday. It was days that they waited, days. For Mary and Martha struggling with Lazarus' illness and his eventual death, it was weeks. And for some of you, it has been years, hasn't it? It's been years for you since you had any explanation why that happened. And you're wondering, how could you? Where were you? What happened? And you're wondering, and, and let's just follow this, right? Like, you're there, you're there years wondering if this benevolent, good God who loves me, so to speak, loves me so much, allows this to happen in my life, maybe he's not that good after all. And if everybody says, you know what, God is good and he loves me, and if God allows this to happen, maybe, maybe he's not even real. Maybe he's not even there at all. And that's where our minds go to, right? And if you are there today, let me say this. If you're there today, I want to say this. It's okay, right? It's okay to be there. It's normal to be there. I mean, if we could just stop pretending, right? Like people come to church and there's like all this pressure when we come to church, right? It's like we try to just do the best to swim upstream against it, but it's just still there. Pressure to just come and pretend that everything is good. Like, oh, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. All right. All right. See you later. And sometimes it's, it's not fine, right? Sometimes we are in pain. Sometimes it just feels, it just hurts so much. And sometimes we don't know where God is and we don't know what God is doing. And we feel somehow there's something, there's something wrong in us. Something's wrong with me. And we think that, you know what, like, we should be holier. <laughs> like, like, we should have our act together in more of a significant way than we have right now. And this, 
that somehow that this pain, that this wonder, that this doubt that has worked its way into our life along with this awful event that has happened somehow signifies a weakness in us or a failure on our part, right? And let me say this today, it does not. It does not. If that's you and what you're experiencing, that's what you're experiencing, that's what you are questioning, I want to say it is totally normal. And so my hope for you today, for you today, is that you find yourself in the gap between the event and the understanding of that event. And my hope for you is that you might have the faith to believe. The faith to believe that even though you don't fully understand it, God is somehow at work in it. The story is that God is telling us is that, you know, it's bigger than us. It's, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. And you and I get to play this small part in this big story. And he loves you and he sees you. But this is not the story of you. This is not the story of me. This is not the story of us. This is God's amazing story. And sometimes he does things that we don't understand. Like, we don't understand why God, you know, allows this to happen in the here and the now. Because there's something bigger afoot. The story is bigger than us. It's bigger than us. And, you, it's, and maybe you're here and you're just like, man, my family, we're playing a big part in this big, you know, on this large scale. And even though you can't figure it out why this has happened in your life, how good, benevolent God could allow this to happen in my life, you got to see that there's good biblical precedent that others have actually felt the same way as well. It's right there. And those others, eventually, they got their answers, right? They got their answers eventually. Now, I got to say this. I got, I, got, I got questions for God. Right? Like, when I get to heaven, like, do you have questions for God? Like, when I get to heaven, I got tons of questions for God. Now, I'm not going to go and interrogate God. Okay, like, who in the world am I? I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to put God on the dock and just be like, you know, pretend I'm holier than thou. Like, that's a, that's a bad idea right there. But what I'm going to do is when I get to heaven, right, I think, um, you know, I think I'm just going to worship God for like a couple of hundred years, right? That's going to be my normal, my, my natural response. I know that. But after a couple of hundred years, after some time, it, when I get a chance to walk with Jesus, and I'm walking with Jesus, I just want to ask Jesus, Jesus, I'm just wondering about all that stuff that happened. Like, why did that happen? I don't get why that happened. I don't get that part. I don't know why I had to go through that. And I don't know why I had to suffer through that. Why this and why that? Could you explain that to me, Jesus? And I have no earthly idea, right? In that moment, what he's going to say, I have no idea. Because there are just things in my life that I have no earthly idea why they happened. I can't figure it out for the life of me. Why a good, benevolent God loves me would allow this to happen in my life. But, but... I believe in that moment that he will speak. And I believe that when he speaks, even though I have no idea what he is going to say, I believe that when he is done, I am going to have my answers. 
I will have my answers. And I'll know not only is he real, but he is good, right? And he absolutely loves me. And you, maybe you might be there right now. You may not fully understand right now, right? It might not be the moment for you where the lights just turn on and the gap is fully closed and have all your answers today. But I'm hoping that that little ray of light, I'm hoping for that, that spark in the darkness that, that tells you that even though you do not have all the answers that God is not only real, but he is good and that he still loves you. That your life is part of something bigger, right? And if you could just hold on to that this morning and just find a way to hold on to that little piece of hope, I think maybe we could just find a way to get through this together. As I invite the worship team to come forward, I'd like to invite you to uh, close your eyes with me and bow your head. Uh, those that are watching online, if you could just close your eyes and bow your head with me. And for the next few moments, I just want you to think about, reflect upon this message. And I want you to think about where you are in that gap, right, of the event and the understanding of the event. Where are you? And I want you to ponder of what God might be doing at this moment. And to cling to that little piece of hope that you have found. And maybe, maybe you're just like, Finn, I'm, I'm, at, a, I'm at an okay place right now. But I, mean, I want to say to you, maybe if it's not you, if you're not there, I want you to pray for a person you know that's there. Right? Because we all know somebody who is in that place. If you take a few moments and just think and just pray as we reflect on this. To know that he still loves me, that he is a good God. Father, we thank you, God, for today, Lord. We thank you for speaking to us. And though, Lord, we may be here and we're going, we're in that gap, we don't know why things are happening the way that it is in our life. We just surrender it all to you, God. We may not have the answers right now, Lord. But we patiently wait. We patiently trust in you that all things come together for good for those that love you. Thank you so much, Lord, on this Palm Sunday for coming to this world. And as we celebrate next week, Lord, on that Easter Sunday when you rise from the dead, Lord, and give us this amazing gift to have eternal life, to have salvation, we can't wait to celebrate. We thank you, God, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.